This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Man Cave, the piney woods of North Central Florida and God's country. In the Melon Law Studio, Melon Law, the only official law firm partner of Fighting Gator. Fighting Gator basketball team looks pretty good right now. It's got some tall youngins on there. I might start watching them a little bit more now. And also, we are protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by such great sponsors as Julie Lucasio Allstate, R&R Construction, On-the-Spot Cleaners, uh, Style Cuts. God, I'm going to leave somebody out. Uh, we'll pick them up at the bottom of the hour. And I see some of the good students are already at class. Uh, Brenda Dolwick, I want to thank you for your support. Um, Larry Nagel, old friend, a long time, way back. And um, some other people here that are watching, you might be able to figure out. Okay. Well, well, well. We had a um, rousing discussion yesterday, I thought, with um, our good friend, Ted Yoho. And we're going to have a good show as um, they used to say on Toss the Talk of the Town, Toast of the Town with uh, Ed Sullivan tomorrow. Uh, tune in for that one. We're going to be talking about Israel and Hamas in a little more greater detail. So uh, we'll have a guest on that if all goes well. So you want to catch tomorrow's show. I've been thinking, and that's always a bad thing when I got a little idle time and to do some thinking. And I was Contemplating what caused me to think about it was the conversation that we had, morning Ray, that we had with uh, Ted about Christianity and theology and uh, all the colonization being a bad word and all that. And then I got to looking at the results of the elections, as you did probably in Virginia and Ohio, Kentucky. And, of course, the press is just clicking their heels for this. Uh, The liberal press is just overjoyed. You see, once again, those white supremacist Republicans have been soundly trounced. That got me to thinking, because I don't think the Republicans I know are bad people. I, I just don't really, to tell you the truth, I don't know any bad people. Not to say there aren't so. I don't. I don't know any bad people, and I'm talking about those January six guys as well. They might have been a little bit over enthusiastic, but they weren't bad people, in my humble opinion. And I'm never wrong. On the other hand, I've seen a lot of bad people in the other camp, liars, like. Pencil neck Schiff, Chuck U. Schumer, 
Fat Jerry Nader, these people, and Pelosi and, and Hillary. I mean, just downright schemers and liars and cheaters. And it's still going. So I got to wondering, how is it that the liars and cheaters, swindlers, all that above, are beating the good people? The people who have businesses? You know, Trump, now they're trying to hang him for having a business. When's the last time you remember a president who had a business? I don't remember one. Let me see. Truman. No business. General Eisenhower. No business. Kennedy. No business. Nixon. No business. Clinton. No business. And look at it locally. You know, business people don't want to get involved with this stuff. You can't even get them to donate to you. So I got to wondering, at another pretend game, what if I were running the Republican strategy? What would I do differently? What? Because you're getting beat. I titled today's show Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. There's a reason why I did that. So I'm going to begin and work my way forward and hope you can bear with me. Once upon a time, don't you love stories that start with once upon a time? Our family lived in Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. That's where the home office was of my father's construction business, which was an international construction business, which he came back and got involved with after the war when he was a combat engineer in the Pacific in World War II. And so he ensconced us in the schools there. So I was in a public high school there. And one of the things, of course, I fell in with was all the little rascals who like to, you know, go look at Tahiti skirts in the library and that one thing or another. But one of my buddies <clears throat> was an excellent counterfeiter. What did he counterfeit? He made fake IDs so we could drink beer. Now, in Ohio at that time, there was real wheat beer, which if you were 18, you could drink. A week, I mean alcohol content. And there was then stronger beer that you could drink if you were 21 and over. Well, we were only 15, 16, 17 years old. So we really couldn't pass for 21. Oh, we could pass for 18 with a real good counterfeit ID. That was the first 
so to speak, walk on the wild side I can remember. Daring to take that ID to one of the local beer halls and have just a draft beer, watered down as it was. And Plantation Mark knows alcohol content. Well, after high school, as you know, my father sent me to military school. In military school, we had an honor system. There wasn't a bar anywhere around our military school. Oh, we had some old boys there that had been ensconced in there for being drunks in our high school. But it wasn't easy to have an alcoholic beverage in the military school. So it was all, I mean, basically we were dried up. And we were on the honor system. Thou shalt not lie, cheat, or steal. And they meant it. Now, hang with me. I'm going somewhere up to why we're losing elections, okay? Up to why we're losing elections. So I come to the University of Florida. First thing I learned is there's an honor system. It's an honor system. It has an honor court. So I'm wandering around by what we call the singing silo, which is over there by Emerson Hall with the great Carolyn Bills, Bells. And they have an apple box. And it's on an honor system. You can take an apple out of the box, but you put a nickel in the container. You got it. You figured it out. No apples, but no nickels either. I thought, wow, this is not much of an honor system. Hey, if the officer of the day comes along in military school and sees something like this, you're out of here. You're gone. You're history. So then I got to realizing when I was here that the county was a dry county. I didn't realize it at the time. But this is part of the story. The city fathers were all Southern Baptists trying to keep a lid on college boys, basically, because Florida had been about a seven-to-one male-female ratio then, from raising havoc in the community. So for hard liquor, we had to go to Henry's across in Palatka, over the, I mean, in Putnam County, or we had to go to Ruby's down in Marion County. We could drink the watered-down beer once again with a good old phony ID. But the beer hall closed at midnight. City fathers still trying to keep a lid on the place, I think, looking back on it. Well, gradually, what happened? We went to liquor. What's called hard liquor. And gradually, what happened? We went to bars that served hard liquor. Well, that was risque enough. 
But then a couple of strange things happened. I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized it later on in my teaching years when I was in the classroom and the students would say, geez, you were around for the 60s? Tell us about those 60s. Our parents won't tell us. I said, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, my lips are sealed. Your parents won't tell you about the 60s for a good reason. What are you talking about? I said, the lid came off of everything. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, suddenly, there was the nasty, evil marijuana. And suddenly, there was liquor in town and bars that stayed open. And suddenly, there was the most important ingredient of all, the birth control pill. That circa 64. Just 10 years earlier, if the girl had become pregnant, she would have left town, been hidden out in shame. But now, something changed. So we had one more ingredient. We had rock and roll music. And we had our local heroes. We had Tom Petty. We had Dwayne and Greg Allman. On and on and on and on. And then we had Woodstock. Wow. It ain't the same. What's that got to do with losing the elections at midterm? Those people from that era have now grown up and are running the towns and the legislatures. They legalized pot in Ohio. Really? Where were you in the 60s when you were throwing guys in the clinker? What you learn from that is every idea has its timing. You can be too early or you can be too late. It's all about timing. So now we've got legalized reefer madness. I need, do you go back and do those guys who were thrown in the jug for reefer madness, do they have uh, reparations coming? Huh? I mean, that was real lockdown. So, how does this fit into yesterday's conversation? The Republicans are getting beat to death on the abortion issue. The first thing I would do if I were the strategist for the Republican Party, I would say, hang up about that. You lost that battle in 1964. 
yeah, those pills aren't always taken. Or this or that can happen. But you ain't going to ever get the woman to feel guilt over what the man does. Unless, of course, you go to, ironically, a Muslim country. So give it up. And this is so strange when you think about what matters in the world. There are real problems. We talk about them. The border. Um, What else do we have there? The debt. Real issues. Abortion trumps them all. The women come out to vote. So I would ask the Republican Party to maybe just drop that. You're not going to win that. You're not going to get anywhere with that. And what you're going to do is you're going to swell the voting ranks and the Democrats are going to be able to take advantage of that. And then tack on whatever else they want voted on while they're there. Now, look at what the Republicans stand for. Kind of an oversimplification, but not really. Stand for family. Right? Stand for a man and a woman. Stand for marriage. That ain't going to cut it. That ain't going to cut it in today's world. The Democrats don't stand for that. The women don't stand for that. So I would advise, first of all, looking back clear to the early 60s, even into the 50s, when the most out-of-bound thing you could do was to change your ID to drink a watered-down beer, all the way up to now where no one wants to be limited in what one feels like doing. It's all about what you feel like doing. Now, to get that in your head straight, I had to do the following. A republic and a democracy. Now, the republicans are all about republic. The Democrats are all about democracy. What's the essential difference? I had to check that out. A republic is a form of government that is ruled according to a constitution or a charter. 
a democracy is ruled according to the will of the majority. The Democrats are constantly wanting to throw out the Constitution. Ah, we don't need that. We come up with a problem, we'll figure it out. Everything is relative. Relativism. No absolutes. The Constitution is an absolute. This is what the rules say about the attempt at the extra point. Or this is what the rules say about any of the games that we play that we stick to the rules. So where does that leave you? Abortion did not belong in the Constitution. If you want to put it in the state Constitution, fine. But don't blame the Republicans for doing the right thing and making the point that it doesn't belong in the Constitution. How did it get in there in the first place? Liberal judge or climate or culture. Now, what would be the strength of the Republican Party that would resonate with the people in the street? When the other party is giving the people in the street whatever they want without knowing whether it could be paid for. So I'm not sure fiscal responsibility resonates. There's been so much money given away. Numbers tossed around that don't mean anything. Just make them up, sling them out there. They're so big, nobody understands anyway. Just run the debt up. Debt, what's debt? Everybody's got debt. God of this life, owing people. That's kind of what I've come away from after watching these little midterm elections in these states. There's nothing wrong in my book with the principles that the Republican Party stands for. Austerity, responsibility for personal behavior, responsibility for government behavior, family, the American dream. But that's not what the other side is selling. And what the other side is selling is very alluring. And you got a spokesperson out there preaching it. Obama. Obama. Out there shouting it from the rooftops. Barack Obama. sent Iran $1.7 billion in cash. 
release some $100 billion in frozen assets. He wanted to find appeasement, rapprochement with Iran. What did Tehran do with the money? Built up Gaza, Lebanon, the West Bank, Syria, Iraq, Yemen. In August 2012, this is all according to uh, Western Journal, in August 2012, Obama drew a quote-unquote red line. The U.S. would respond militarily if Syria used chemical weapons. But once Syria did a year later, Obama blinked and let Russia bail him out by pretending to remove all the chemical weapons. Russia never left Syria. Obama pulled out of Iraq in 2011. Iran-backed militias filled the vacuum. Obama called ISIS a JV team. Israel had a chance to destroy Hamas in the 2008-9 Gaza war. But Obama stopped it, causing a unilateral ceasefire. All that did was prepare for the next war in 2014. And yet there's no there's no uh, issue with that. It's abortion, you see. Abortion. Abortion. It is a strange moment, is it not, in the country's history. We got a former president being referred to as a criminal. Yet he paid back every loan. No bank ever complained. Yet he doesn't get a jury trial. You've got a prosecuting attorney who is the daughter of a Black Panther founder. Let's go back and look at them. Let's go back and look at who they are. You have to kind of go back to Jesse Jackson and take a look at what happened to him and who filled that void, which I want to do right after the break. You have to go back and trace that forward to where we are now. Combine that with the self-indulgent, instant gratification, constitutionalist society on the left. And that's where we, I think, I, that's how I arrive at where we are. We'll be right back with Ward's Weather in just a moment. 
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Thursday, November the 16th, come celebrate the release of our Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, Lugo's Risky Run. This exclusive release features a special spread of our farm-to-table food, rum cocktails, raffles, and a meet and greet with me. Each ticket includes a bottle of Spurrier's Single Barrel Select Risky Run. And I'll sign the bottle if you'd like. So get your ticket before they sell out at Spurrier's.com. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show... Thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron Station's fossil fuel. Well, 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 we're in delightful, mild temperatures here, 60s and up to 80s, but no rain. Um, they can rain dance, you get a lot of requests. But, you know, the climate change people are always at it. And a UPI has got this article out. The global surface air temperature has produced the warmest October on record. On record. With result that 2023 is on track to be Earth's warmest ever year. Earth's 
I don't know if I believe that. Earth's warmest ever year. Well, I guess they know what they're talking about. The records only go back to 1850. So, but it's nice to shake that once in a while under people's noses. The global temperature records, and they're using this word, are being obliterated. So they are saying, with near certainty, they do put in a qualifier, near certainty, that 2023 will be the warmest year on record. And is currently 1.43 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial average. There you go. So, of course, what's the conclusion? There has never been more urgency or an ambitious climate action than now. There you go. There you go. Hey, I just came across it, thought I'd share it. Well, well, well. Our production guys were saying at the break, they were excited by the title, uh, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Uh, don't have any rock and roll to play you. Uh, been kind of, it's a family show, so I didn't go into detail about the sex. Although one of the rambunctious things we did have here in this community was a uh, miniskirt contest. Wow. Wow. A miniskirt contest. That packed the place, believe me. So I'm going through the 60s with you in terms of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But there was another event that occurred in the 60s that paralleled the rise of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Now, rock and roll, as it came, really a blend of what had been picked up by the young white kids from listening to the black soul stations. So that was one of the ways in which the cultures were arm in arm, really. Uh, you had Little Richard, you had John Lee Hooker, you had Jimmy Reed. Uh, you had some guys that these guys, Beatles and all, were listening to. Stones were listening to. So much so that even Elvis felt he'd been pushed aside. And then, of course, you have Kennedy's assassination. But the one that really has changed now that I've gotten older and look back at it was King's. King's assassination. I want to go through this with you a little bit um, carefully because I am going down memory lane. And I'm referring now to an analysis by Jason Riley. Black writer in a journal who's excellent. And um, he re reminds us that when King was shot, Jesse Jackson was with him. And Jesse Jackson um, took up really, um, he was King's confidant. So he really took up King's cause. Um, 
he Ralph Abernathy helped him, but mainly mainly Jesse Jackson. And last week, Jesse Jackson turned eighty-one, and he retired as the head of the Rainbow Push Coalition, which was a civil rights organization he founded three years after King's death. Now, he had a lot of poetry in him, down with dope, up with hope. Um, He ran for president in 1984, 1988, and he did better than any black candidate before Barack Obama. And, you know, Barack Obama claims black. His mother's white. Okay? Never mentions her. Never, ever mentions her. I guess if I wanted to be a politician, I had a choice between my white mother, whom I knew, and my black father, whom I didn't know. I guess politically, it's a no-brainer. I claim black father. So anyway, when King died, Jason Roddy points out that blacks were far better off than they'd ever been before. And that's because King was involved in the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And they were successful. Now, after the 1960s, any understanding of the role of black leaders was in the context of Martin Luther King leadership, with the implication then that African-Americans could rise in American life through direct action with the political order and actually affect the political order in a positive way, positive changes, and that you would blend in with the white society. And I heard Jesse Jackson with my own ears say that when Martin Luther King was in the Birmingham jail, where he wrote his masterpiece, Letter from Birmingham Jail, he asked Nixon, who was running for president, to come and see him. Nixon didn't. Kennedy did. At the time, King was a Republican. When Nixon did not come, King said, that does it. I'm now a Democrat. But after King's death, Jackson couldn't preach it the way King could. And what emerged was black leadership, according to Jason Riley, that shifted focus from equal rights to racial favoritism and started blaming racial disparities primarily on racism. That 
has never changed. It has gotten now to be bureaucratically institutionalized in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now you have a larger than ever welfare state that creates incentives not to work and subsidizes counterproductive behavior, according to Jason Riley, who is black. He's dead on. He is dead on. Jackson leadership was crushed. And what took over? What took over? Well, I did some research on that. Of course, a lot of that I was alive around for. Here are some names. Perhaps some of you older people like yours truly here will remember them. Malcolm X. Angela Davis. Stokely Carmichael. Malcolm X was not only a member of the Nation of Islam, a black nationalist group that thrived on hatred of whites in the same way that Islamist organizations thrive on Jew hatred. Malcolm X was also a a supporter of the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. Angela Davis was a Black Panther in the 1960s, a longtime member of the Communist Party USA. And Carmichael, in the 60s, right when sex, drugs, and rock and roll were going on, was a Black militant, unabashed racial separatist who called Zionism a diabolical movement. The 60s. The 60s, when you look back, are really the genesis of so many things going on now. Mainstream civil rights leaders. Martin Luther King was a staunch anti-communist. The NAACP was a staunch anti-communist. The National Urban League was staunch 
anti-communist. Thurgood Marshall rejected the notion that the Soviet system offered a better life for blacks. And he even worked with the FBI to expose communist infiltrators. Now there is no shortage of black leftists who, along with Black Lives Matter, are defending Hamas's attack on Israel. Sixties. That would not have happened had King been around. I got to curi- I got to be curious about that. May 2021, Black Lives Matter made its position clear between Israel and Hamas. Quote, Black Lives Matter stands in solidarity with Palestinians. And here comes the word that Ted and I used yesterday, colonization or colonialism. Quote, we are a movement committed to ending settler colonialism in all forms and will continue to advocate for Palestinian liberation. Colonialism, colonization. In 2016, Four years before Floyd was killed by police, I noticed the term is not murdered. Black Lives Matter released an official platform that referred to Israel as an apartheid state and declared that America is, quote, and tell me where you heard this word before, complicit in the genocide taking place against the Palestinian people. Obama? Obama? I believe you heard that, didn't you? I believe you heard that. The New York Times in 2020 with an open letter endorsed the Black Lives Matter movement. Incredibly, there was a full-page ad in this open letter endorsing the Black Lives Movement. It was signed by more than 600 Jewish organizations. But Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam were advocates of racial separatism who insisted 
that Jews brought the Holocaust on themselves and urged blacks to sympathize completely with the Arab cause. In the 1960s, when these guys were getting going, Jason Riley traced this back, leaders in the black power movement and that daughter, Letitia James, is the daughter who is uh, prosecuting Trump of a black of a Black Lives Matter or uh, Black Panthers founder, Black Power founder. Leaders in the Black Power movement denounced King as an Uncle Tom and rejected his goal of assimilation. When he became the head of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee that was known as SNCC, I believe, in the mid-1960s, Stokely Carmichael steered the civil rights group in a more radical direction, even. That included forcing SNCC's white workers and volunteers, almost all of whom were Jewish, to resign. When Israel was attacked by several Arab nations in 1967, Carmichael declared, quote, that the only good Zionist is a dead Zionist. Now, where else does this get started? Yes, I'm looking at your chat here, Mark. Um, trying to get Ramsey on, but he's got a different job. And he's kind of, um, well, I won't talk too much about it. He can't make public appearances as easily as before. Lorenzo Bedito has studied how Hamas won the hearts and minds of the American left. And the way they did it, they used the same language of post-colonial theory to label Israelis as European settlers. Hamas, a Hamas leader, replied that the same type of racism that killed George Floyd is being used by Israel against the Palestinians. Interesting. Rather interesting, I think. We've got to go back to the 60s. And take a look, the dangerous rhetoric, the militant behavior, and ensued. Western intellectuals and academia since that time has been friendly to Hamas. They see Hamas as a leftist political world. 
But Hamas, according to Mr. DeVito, is more than a terrorist organization intent on killing Jews and eradicating Israel. And this is a thing that is troublesome. Hamas is a savvy international political player that has manipulated policy, public opinion, and Muslim communities. They like doing business on American soil because it is constitutionally protected. So when a Talib runs her yak, as morally repugnant as it is, oh, that's her right. I'm reminded by Tim Martin, who's watching. We're going to have a special show tomorrow. Um, We're talking about a young man who was involved with the, as I understand it, the uh, Israeli tank divisions. It's been set up by Tim. Uh, It'll be an hour show. I don't think you want to miss it. It's going to be very, very interesting. And, um, it's going to be about as close as you can get to the pulse of this issue, which I'm really sort of preparing for today. So the Israeli citizens who were abducted, tortured, and killed, we know all about this, were not bystanders caught in a crossfire. They were intended targets. There was no mistake, no misunderstanding, no unintended consequences. Bodies of the terrorists showed that they had maps of locations of elementary schools, youth centers, and that their orders were to kill as many as possible, to catch capture hostages. And yet, Jason Riley again looking at this, a coalition of more than 30 left-wing student groups at Harvard issued an open letter stating that the Israeli regime was entirely responsible for all unfolding violence. Jason Riley mentions Ben Sass by name, president of the University of Florida. He is one of the few college leaders who has unequivocally responded to the attacks. A quote from Ben Sass. I will not tiptoe around this simple fact. What Hamas did is evil. And there's no defense for terrorism. This should not be hard. Good for him. Good for him. 
So that's my trip into the past. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The left is very permissive, very unstructured, feels good, do it. That's very appealing. Instant gratification. Don't bother me with the Constitution. I think the Republicans got a tough hope. Standing on principle. I don't think the left gives a darn about it. Principle, it's in the way. Tune in tomorrow. We'll have a good show for you. Or I'll command center out.